maths, physics, further maths. Those were those were my maths. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Honestly, those were my school subjects. At the start, your analytics is probably just somewhere that will either boost or damage your ego. You're probably looking at that 500 views, going, "Yes, I've got 500, and I can an and I can analyze that." <laughs> In terms of that random person that's sending you that random message. Welcome to the podcast, Gabriel Nussbaum. Nussbaum. Yes. I'm so happy that we practiced that before this. Thank you for coming in. Um, when I started to write a bit of a guest list for the podcast, you were one of the first names on there. I followed you for a while. And what I love about your content is how different it is to 95% of the creators out there. So thank you for coming on. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's all right. Um, when I start speaking to people, I find it really interesting to take it back to their childhood because it kind of gives me a bit of a... I guess, insight into the, the upbringing and how, you know, your story came about. So I've done a bit of digging. You were a very, very, very intelligent young man. Um, great, great grades, great school. So yeah, talk to me about your childhood. Um, was finance always on the cards for you, I guess? It's an interesting one because I feel like I never really knew exactly what I wanted to do. Mm. In school, I knew the subjects that I liked. Um, and in the UK, they kind of force you to pick a career path quite early, yeah. don't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of knowing that finance was the next step, no, not exactly, to be honest. Um, the idea behind it was just that I studied maths. I liked maths. Mm. So it was always going to be a mathsy subject. That I was going to say, what kind, of, what kind of subjects were your go-to? Yeah, maths, physics, further maths. Those were those <laughs> my... Further maths. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Honestly, those were my school subjects. Yeah. Um, but to say that I ever had a sight set on finance, I would say no. The kids that did that normally knew it from the start. They probably had parents that worked in finance or they knew economics and that side of things quite well. But me personally, no, I just studied the subject and saw where it could take me. Yeah. What did your parents do? My parents, my dad works in clothes. Nice. Yeah. And my mom is an optometrist. So okay. there's no real links to finance, to no. be honest. And then you went on to Imperial. Correct. Yeah. And what did you study? So I went to Imperial to study mechanical engineering. Um, I suppose the reason behind that was I liked maths, but not enough to study purely maths. So I looked for just a mathsy, more hands-on subject. Um, and again, prior to even looking into university, I didn't exactly know about engineering or if that was going to be a career path for me. But like I said, you have to pick your career quite early in the UK or your degree. So at 16, I looked at it and engineering made the most sense. So that's where I went. And then how did Barclays come about? So that one probably makes more as a more logical step once you've taken into account the engineering. So out of engineering, there's really like three or four paths. Mm. You go into engineering, you go into further studies, you go into probably a startup or you go into finance or as well. They call it the dark path. They don't like you going into finance from engineering. Um, but I'd done a few internships in engineering and I ended up thinking that I'd be more suited to a role in finance. So I applied to a few graduate schemes. I don't know if you remember how it was after university. Yep, I got rejected from everyone. Yeah, about <laughs> 40 rejections, one acceptance. Um, so I got a couple, but Barclays was the one that stood out the most. It was quite a general graduate scheme. Mm. So for me, that made the most sense. Again, there's kind of a clear theme of me not knowing exactly mm. the right career path, which I feel is completely acceptable in your early 20s. Yeah. And so Barclays stood out the most and that's where I went. Okay. How long were you at Barclays for in the end? So I stayed there for two years in total. And that was that the grad scheme from start to finish, basically? Yes, pretty much, okay. yeah. 
So was it, because this is what I'm really interested in speaking to you about, is your switch from corporate career to social media creator. Was it the end of your grad scheme and then you were like, I'm not going to take this any further? Or was it just, I'm ready to go full-time content creation? Great question. I think it's not quite black and white. Yeah. It, it gradually happened over time. So I suppose it stems back to me starting content creation as a hobby mm. um, and then skip a few steps and starts doing really well yeah. whilst I'm on the graduate scheme. And trying to balance the two side by side was getting more and more difficult. I wanted to put more time into content creation because that was my passion and it was doing well and it was starting to have career options off the back of it as well. So probably about six plus months prior to when I actually left was when the idea came into my head that I could really do this full time. Mm. But I wanted to see out the graduate scheme. I wanted to finish it. So that was why I ended up staying for the full two years, but Mm. I probably could have left six months earlier. Yeah. And do you remember the first time you started posting videos? Like, was it a was it an active decision? I'm going to start posting and I'm going to build an account and I'm going to leave my job. Or was it just, I'm just going to post for a hobby and see what happens? It's funny because I was actually thinking about this the other day about how so many YouTubers and TikTokers talk about how they've always had a camera in their hands since they were five years old. Yeah, yeah. I'm not one of those people. So my first video that I ever posted was in October 2020 on YouTube, just after I'd started at Barclays. And the reason behind that was I was consuming a lot of content about creating content, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. And it just appealed more and more to me. I knew there were business implications down the line if it goes well. But the truth of it is, is that you can't go into content thinking that you're going to succeed, go viral, Mm. have a career out of it. You have to do it as a passion and as a hobby. So I was using it as a creative outlet on the side of my main career at Barclays. And then I suppose that was, so I started it, yeah, as, as a passion more or less. And I happened to get quite lucky in that it became a career option very quickly after you that. You say lucky, and I want to talk about this later because I know how consistent you are as well. And I think that's a big a big thing when it comes to being successful on socials. But how did Barclays take it when you were posting content? Was there any, because I know that I've listened to Phil's podcast, Phil Reed, who we spoke about on the way up here. Um, and I know that corporate jobs sometimes don't want you posting content because, you know, and quite rightly sometimes they don't want whatever you're saying to reflect on them. Was there any kind of discussion with people at Barclays about the content? Did they see it? It's an interesting one because I was, the content that took off for me was yeah. obviously content regarding finance. And mm. then when I started working with brands, they were often in the finance realm. Mm. You can think conflicts of interest and that kind of stuff. Um, so I never... I would say officially communicated it with Barclays. And I'll give you my reasons. The first one was I didn't expect it to take off. And uh, there was a comment made to me quite early on, which was if you had a Twitter account and were just tweeting and a lot of people saw it, Mm. you would never have to disclose that to to your company. I mean, officially I probably should have, um, but then the way that uh, I kind of considered it was I never mentioned Barclays in any of my content, um, advice given to me by Phil Reed. Um, I never filmed on premise um, and I never really officially associated myself with Barclays to make sure that the two were kept completely separate. And then the other thing that I made sure to do was whenever brand opportunities arose that were a clear conflict of interest 
with Barclays, mm. say another bank wanted to work <laughs> with me, I would clearly have to say no in those cases yeah. because it didn't feel right. Um, because my content was doing well and a lot of it was going viral, colleagues were finding out, mm. seeing my content. Were it, they supportive it, about it? Or? Yeah, to yeah. be honest, they really were. They loved it. A lot of the ones that I was working with or weren't working with brought it up quite often. Um, and it was just a great topic of conversation. And I think they really enjoyed it. I mean, there was one incident that had my heart racing a little bit, which was when someone very senior at the company um, the, in the team that I was working in, so let's say like my boss's boss's boss, that high up, um, did kind of tap me on the shoulder and be like, oh, good ad that I saw you in the other day. And I was like, great. So he's seen me in an advert <laughs> that was clearly for like a finance branded yeah. company. Um, not a conflict of interest company, yeah, yeah. but in, a, in another realm. So that one had, I was like, oh, this is gonna be it. He's gonna report me to seniors and I'm not gonna be allowed to carry this on anymore. <laughs> but thankfully, no, it just it just carried on. And everyone, to be honest, on a personal level with me was really supportive of what I was doing. When you started to make your first set of videos, why finance? Like, obviously you were working in finance, I get that, but why choose finance? Like, why that niche? Because as I say, it, it is quite a rare niche to get into. And it's also quite, a, let's be honest, quite a taboo subject for a lot of, British people. So mm -hmm. what was it that was like, I'm going to dive into finance? Well, if you actually go back to my earliest stage of content creation, mm. it wasn't specifically on finance. So I started on YouTube, which is where most content creators will probably put out their first piece of content. Mm. And my passion was just about learning outside of the classroom. So I was making content on personal development, fitness, getting into a graduate scheme, all these kind of topics that I was learning in my own personal life that you wouldn't learn inside of a classroom. And then eventually, whilst I was studying and learning more about content creation, I realized that you do have to niche down and saying content, uh, having content that's just about learning outside the classroom is not a niche. There are so many things with, that cover that, that are within that. Yeah. So I then kind of looked at all the subcategories of what I was talking about and finance just jumped out the most. Like I said, I was working in it. I felt I had the most to say about it. I enjoyed making the content on that topic the most. Um, and I felt that there was a little bit of a space in the UK for someone to talk about it. Yes, there are quite a lot of people that talk about personal finance and all these kind mm -hmm. of subjects, but there's no one quite on that pedestal that is leading the way, which means there's clearly a lot of room for creators to, to go into that area. Um, so that's the niche that I settled in from my own choice. And then that was also the niche that started performing the best for me when I did eventually jump onto TikTok. And if you look at my entire journey on TikTok, which is where I've had my success, you'll see that I blew up doing finance, then started to niche back out into that learning outside the classroom and actually circled back into finance quite quickly after that, despite a lot of my content doing well when I was going into broader subjects. But that is how I fell into finance more or less. Yeah. It's, it's definitely important to find that niche. It's just quite, I guess my follow-up to that is why do you think that your content's been so successful? Because I would argue now you are leading the way in terms of finance content, especially on platforms like TikTok. So why do you think that yours has gripped people so much? Perhaps the simplicity of it, I would say. So when I started creating on TikTok in the finance realm, the majority of finance-related content that was doing so well at that time was buy this crypto asset, buy this stock, invest in this. And I wanted to cut away all the crap basically and strip it back to the basics. If there are people that are, have never 
been exposed to any financial education, being told to buy stocks and crypto and all these kind of quite dangerous assets that they wouldn't know what to do with, but they're just being told to do it, then there needed to be someone that was giving them the basic level of education as well so that they could make the right informed decisions. Yeah, And that was where I took it. So I jumped in at the, can I get you from level zero to level one so that when people are shouting about things that are at level 10, at least you're starting to get yourself up that ladder. I think that's why I, I really resonate with your content so much is that when you go on TikTok and when you get into a TikTok hole, you get fed drop shipping, crypto, like quick win mm -hmm. finance. And it's not educational. And it, I actually find it quite dangerous, dangerous for the average person to get involved in that kind of thing. I think that's what resonates with your content for me is, like you say, the simplicity of it. And it's not simple, but it's just everybody can, I guess it's digestible is the, is the best way to say it. Um, what was it like the first time that you started earning money from, because I, I always talk about this when I started my own business, that first time I made money without, I guess, going to work was like this light bulb moment for me. It was, it felt like the best thing in the world because I was like, right now my livelihood isn't based on somebody else. So what was it like for you? It's a crazy feeling because like I said earlier, this was a passion, yeah. this was a hobby. Mm that I knew had business implications, but I wasn't expecting anything from it from the foreseeable future, to be honest. And so when that first uh, email comes through, hi, we'd love to create a sponsored piece of content with you. What's your rates? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think I emailed them back saying a hundred pounds. And they said- How many followers kind of did you have? Just shy of a hundred thousand. Wow. I know that I could have charged a lot more yeah. already at that, at that point, And it was a mistake that I made, but it was just the fact that he came back and said, yeah. And I was like, I was gonna create this piece of content anyway. Okay, maybe not about that brand, but about that topic and that subject. And now they're just gonna send me a hundred quid for doing it. Mm. Like you said, it is a bit of a light bulb moment to think, whoa, I can actually make money from my passion mm. now. And yeah, it, it did, I suppose, start the treadmill of the idea that maybe I could turn this into a full-time career. Yeah. How, because your channel is about education, we as an agency are trying to be more educational in terms of telling creators how to charge themselves, how to have their value. Where did you go for help with that? The internet, which is a bad, bad <laughs> place to go. Yeah. <laughs> I read so many blogs and, you know, newsletters about how to charge yourself on TikTok. But the honest truth is nobody knew because no. TikTok was such a new platform mm. that the rates were all over the place. Mm. Nowadays, I think it's probably becoming a little bit more standardized. So, I mean, even going at 100K followers, which I was for my first deal, I think nowadays I probably would have tried to go for at least four figures in a thousand pounds or something like that because that's probably the value of my community. Um, but what my advice would be to other creators who are trying to charge themselves is what number one is your time worth and your community worth. So a hundred pounds for me was probably me just getting a little bit too excited <laughs> at the time. And I don't, obviously I don't think that's what I was worth. But the other thing I would always suggest to them is what's an uncomfortable rate for you and start there. Such a good way to think about it. We've we've been making a bit more content about how to price yourself, and we always dig down into what's your engagement rate, what's you know, 
What, what are your views like? Where's your audience base? Is it UK based? Is it not UK based? But even just like you say, thinking of your time, like what's your current job? Mm-hmm. What are you currently earning? What's your current day rate, if you will, is a really good starting point for any creator. Yeah. I mean, rates are all over the place. Um, so like you said, you can try and analyze it and create the metrics that will give you the perfect pricing plan. Mm. But the truth is, is with any market, it's just demand and supply. Mm. How badly do they want you and how badly do you want to create for them? Mm. And me somewhere in the middle. So I've heard of creators who are on 50,000 followers charging 2,000 pounds for a brand deal. Mm. I've heard of creators on a million followers charging 500 pounds for a brand deal. And let's say they could even be in the same niche, Mm. talking about the same subject. And I think that one has just jumped out of their comfort zone a lot more and said to themselves, you know what? Let me start here with an uncomfortable uh, number and the brand are always gonna come back and negotiate regardless. So that's a great place to start. Um, And then on top of that, they've just seen what is the value of of my time and and how how I wanna go about it. I suppose one other way that you could do it is if let's say you're a creator starting out on your own is try and connect with other creators mm. it's the quickest way to level up is just to share knowledge with other creators yeah. um or reach out to agencies or, yeah. or just talk to people within the within the community um because they will have answers from their experiences and that's the best way to learn through experiences it's, it's so true and i think that the the talking to one another is such a big thing because we don't do it in everyday life like no one talks about what their salary is to their friend very rarely and it's that kind of culture kind of goes down to creators now, but we at least see a lot of our creators talk about their fees to each other, which sometimes can be a negative thing because sometimes people aren't as truthful about what they're actually earning. And then the next minute you've got a creator saying, this person's earning this. I go, I guarantee they're not earning <laughs> that. But it's it that, that communication between creators is so vital. And like you say, speaking to agencies, because nine times out of 10, I think that some creators are, not afraid, but like a bit hesitant to reach out to an agency and say, could you help me? Mm-hmm. But nine times out of 10, an agency will probably reply or another creator will reply. Like I know that we were saying you spoke to Phil and he was very helpful at the beginning of, of your career. Um, what was it like telling your family that you were quitting your, you know, corporate job that you'd, you know, you'd worked all your life for really mm-hmm. to pres- pursue this career in let's, be honest, an industry that's very new and no one knows what's going to happen really in the, in this industry. What was that like? Like, were they supportive? What was it like? So I tried to spread it over time. <laughs> uh, my family are very supportive. Yeah. So they'll always back me if I come to them and show them the logical reasons of mm. what I'm doing. But at the same time, like you mentioned, especially for the generation before us, this is not an industry that should or does exist, I suppose, in their minds because it's so fresh and new. So when you tell them that you're gonna quit your stable career in finance, that you've done four years at uni for and got your A-levels that have led you all to that point, just to, to go into something that's your passion, um, it is a very scary moment, I suppose, for them because they just want you to be secure and safe and happy. Uh, but I try to do it more logically by explaining how much money I was making, my income, my plan, uh, the reasons behind what I was doing. And yeah, there was of course some discussion and some pushback, but overall they were happy for me to, to do this, as I said, given the, the logical explanation. I think one thing that probably was quite key 
was at the time that I decided to quit, I had just started to earn more money from content creation right. than I had from my full-time job. Yeah. And most people would say, oh, then it's the obvious decision. You have to quit. But it's not actually that true because you'll know this for sure. In the content creation industry, income is like a roller coaster. Yeah, very volatile. S exactly. Sometimes you could be earning double what I was earning at Barclays. Some months there'll be nothing. Mm. So that is one, I suppose, push to to leave and to go at this full time and to help my parents understand that everything's gonna yeah. be okay. But at the same time, it still does leave an element of risk. Mm. Uh, one thing that I did also say to them was, a lot of people take like a gap year out after a couple of years of work. Mm. So they'll maybe do their graduate scheme and then take a year off whilst they decide what career they want to, mm. to head down. Now I said to them, imagine I asked to take a gap year, but instead of taking a gap year, I wanted to run a business that was earning me money and gaining experience and gaining a massive network uh, and exposing me to so many new things. You would say hands down, yeah, go yeah, for it. Yeah, 100%. So when you explain it that way and take out maybe the industry that yeah. that, that it's in, yeah. it becomes a, a little bit more easier to run. That's a really, really smart way. <laughs> Obviously, like you say, the money side of it is great. But even if you weren't earning money, if you said, I'm going to do a gap here, but I might earn money from this, that's a really good way of explaining it. Because a lot of the creators that we work with are so young. And we've had creators even be weighing up, do I go to university? Or do I double down on this 50,000 followers that I've cultivated? What's your advice for people that are thinking, because there'll be a lot of people that are thinking, do I go to university or do I be a content creator? Because I think I was reading about it the other day. One of the top jobs that people want to do when they come out of school now is be a content creator, which I, which I understand and I get, but it's not as simple as that. So what's your advice for people that are trying to um and ah about that kind of decision? My immediate answer would be go for it. Mm but I'll give you the kind of more sound reasons behind why I'm saying that. The, the first thing is, is that especially in the UK, we're quite pressured into hurry up, get to uni, mm. get into a job and go, go, go. And if you look at countries around the world, it's a little bit more relaxed out there. So they're like, take a gap year, maybe work for a few years before you start a degree. Um, you'll see people that are doing degrees much later in life. Um, so let's say you were in school and you had a good following. If uh, you could justify that you want to spend one year focusing on this and maybe applying to uni at the same time, and then at the end of that year, you can decide fully whether university is the right path for you because you've given it a, a, a shot, you've gone mm. full time at it and you've given it a go. So instead of taking that gap year and trying to travel to Southeast Asia to find yourself, um, you create some content for a year and really like double down and see where it can take you. That is a more practical way of going about it. Now I know that you have to caveat that, caveat that with saying not everyone's in the same positions that they can potentially even afford to not yeah. go to university yeah. or miss out. So it will depend on your personal circumstance. But if you do have 50,000 pounds, 50,000 pounds, if you have 50,000 pounds to sort it. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, got, you're good. If you've got 50,000 followers at the age of 18, you're doing something right mm. and you can earn an income from that. So that should hopefully Put you in a good enough position that you can afford to take that one year of your life to make that decision properly yeah i think that's really good advice and i think that it is a balancing act between not risking the rest of your life to become a content creator but you could like you say it's a year mm -hmm. it's a year of your life um what was the balancing act for you like in terms of working full-time and being a content creator because 
One of the things that I think that people really underestimate when you're a content creator is how much work it is. I'm not saying it's the hardest job in the world, but there's a lot of hours that go into it. Content ideas, (laughs) coming up with ideas, editing, filming, posting across four different platforms, captions. It's just, it adds up over time, especially when you're trying to grow multiple platforms. So how did you balance and what advice do you have in terms of balancing your workload for those people out there that are trying to build a profile, but they have full-time jobs? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm the best person to come to this <laughs> for, honestly. I still struggle with uh, all this kind of stuff and I am full-time. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if there's ever a, a great answer. I did commit a lot of time to it up front. Mm. So my evenings were filled with editing, um, content writing scripting like you said it's it's like seven jobs for one person so the truth of it is you just have to dedicate a lot of time and understand there's a commitment there perhaps i got lucky because i started in lockdown mm. so time was actually quite a luxury yeah. everyone was locked in their houses anyway <laughs> yeah. like you can go to the pub or go out for a meal so mm. i may as well job finished at 5 five thirty. let me just crack on with with content at, at that point um but in terms of of managing it the key word that I would say to any content creator trying to be smart with creating content is the word batching. Mm. So switching from task to task is a really easy way to burn out. If you want to script it, record it, edit it, post it all in one go, uh, it will take you 10 times as long as if you spent the entire night scripting four or five videos. Then spent the next night filming those four or five videos and kind of putting tasks together. So now if I ever was to film a series of TikToks, let's say, I will film 10 in a a day Mm. and they'll all have been written the day before. Mm. So that's the smartest way to, I would say, balance it side by side. And then the other thing is they tell you that you need to be consistent but consistent isn't a number. So you'll see a lot of people saying you need to post five times a day now on the short form platforms. I love this, yeah, I love Um, this. It's BS. You just have to post consistently at a speed that you can keep up with. Yeah. So whether that's three times a week or 10 times a day, yeah. whichever one you can manage. I love this because we tell all of our creators because a lot of our creators are short form video creators and they want to take the leap to long form. Mm-hmm. So YouTube, you know, and I always, my background is YouTube. So I've been doing it for 10 years. Um, I've managed big channels. And the one thing, n- nobody knows what the algorithm's doing. Anybody who says that they do is mm-hmm. full of shit. Yeah. The one thing that people know is that consistency is key, but that doesn't, like you say, mean you have to post frequently. If you can post once every two weeks, but keep it consistent, the algorithm will like you for that. One of, and it sounds, I'm sounding like such a loser for saying it, but one of my favorite YouTube channels is this YouTube channel called Oversimplified. And it's a cartoon history channel. It talks about like World War One and like the Romans, and it's just awful, but it posts once every six months. (laughs) <laughs> and it gets 10 million views every time because the algorithm knows in six months time, boom, mm-hmm. oversimplified to posting. And that's what we try and get across to our creators is that consistency doesn't mean posting every day mm-hmm. because also depending on the type of content you make, you can't be posting every day or you can't be posting three. Like I hear so many people on TikTok go, you've got to post three times a day. That's fine if you're just a lifestyle creator and you can, you know, film about your day. I don't even think it's fine in that case. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... But one thing that's really, really standing out from talking to you is how you th- you obviously think about your process of making content and staying consistent. And it, it seems to me that that comes from your analytical background. 
One thing that's not talked about, I think, enough when I go onto TikTok and I hear all these experts about growing your account, I don't think people talk about their analytics enough. How invested are you in terms of analyzing your, your analytics on your platforms? I've had a love-hate relationship with my analytics. <laughs> but at the start, your analytics is probably just somewhere that will either boost or damage your ego because you're just looking at it to be like, oh, this is, this is how many followers I'm getting. This is, oh, this is a bad day. Oh, I've lost a bunch of followers. So at the beginning, I was watching it every day for the wrong reasons. Then I stepped away from it completely because I thought that was more healthy just to mm. steer away from trying to keep track of what was going on. And now, like you said, I've come to the point where you can use your analytics to improve your content, especially because TikTok has gone down the route of YouTube to show you a retention curve on mm. a video, which I would say is probably the one key piece of analytics. Obviously, views, likes, mm. that tells you immediately. Mm. But if you're actually looking to know why that piece of content didn't well, didn't do well, a retention curve is massive. And like you said, because of my analytical background, I love a curve, yeah. I love a graph, yeah. I love percentage numbers. So recently, um, because it's only a recent addition to the platform, I've taken a look at my retention curve on a video that doesn't perform well. And you can see very quickly where the drop off is. Mm. Um, and you'll hear a lot of people start to mention it, but gonna come more and more common that they'll remove that piece of content, cut the part that didn't do well, repost it, and you'll watch immediately that piece of content will, will spike. I think I saw someone post the other day that they saw that they lost a huge amount of uh, viewers in the first three seconds. So you just cut the first three seconds and reposted it, 10,000 more views. Wow. Um, and these are just little things that you can be yeah. smart about when it comes to posting your content, especially on these short form platforms yeah. that give you your data back very quickly. Yeah, exactly. Like I remember in YouTube, you had to wait 24 hours to, to get it years ago. But mm. I, I love what you're saying about it because I think that I'm a geek when it comes to <laughs> analytics. And because my background was YouTube, everything was analytics. They've always had the best analytics. Always, and I think that it's so important to look at analytics. But what I love about what you're saying is there are vanity metrics on um on these platforms. So your likes, your views, to me, your following is a vanity metric. Mm -hmm. Your engagement, retention rate, the things that matter, where is your audience, the type of video that performs well, those are the things that you really should be looking at. And it can be stressful looking at those things, but if you utilize them in the right way, they're an incredibly powerful tool to improve your content. And I think that, and I preach this all the time, it's about your quality of content, your value add. It's very obvious what your value add is. But for a lot of creators, they are just kind of like you were in your early days, testing the water, what type of content they want to make. And for you to look at your analytics and go, actually, this performs quite well, this kind of content, and I enjoy it. But you have to be open to looking and really being a student of analytics. Because I know that the creators on our roster that do the best are the ones that know their analytics back to front. They know exactly how many views they're getting, their engagement rate, where their audience is. When I speak to a creator and they're like, I'm not sure where my audience is based, start there because yeah. that's a huge, because if you don't understand that your audience might be outside of the UK, why are you making UK focused content? It makes no sense. It's, a, it's, a, it's an unbelievable point. I liked what you said about the vanity metric at the beginning, mm. because that's, what people immediately jump to yeah. when they start to grow on the platform. And those aren't your analytics mm. or they're not really necessary analytics, especially if we're focusing on short form content. Mm. So the way that you'll grow on the platform 
um, is through viral content. Mm. Your everyday content that you're posting that's going to your core audience doesn't grow you because your core audience are there, yeah. right? Yeah. So when you're trying to be to, to look at that one piece of viral content um, and think to yourself, how can I re recreate that? Yes, that's very important, but don't forget about the everyday content that you're creating as well and keeping an eye on that and looking at your response from your community um, because that's what will actually build you as a good content creator. Mm. Okay, you can throw in an extra 10,000 followers from this um, video that did really well that had nothing to do with your niche, mm. but is that really why you're trying to create and what you're trying to create about? So it's being very careful with the metrics that are coming back from content as well yeah, because they're so not true. always giving you the best information. That is so true. And it's almost like, yes, this video did well, but are you wanting to make that type of content for the next 10 years? Because yeah. if not, you will burn out. You won't be consistent. You won't perform well. well how have you found, because I, I watched a few podcasts of you before this and I heard you talking about long form content and how you're wanting, and I've seen it on your YouTube channel, you've jumped back into long form. How's that been? And uh, and what do you think that the, uh, is it just a time thing that most creators fall onto when they go from short form to long form and why they find it a bit more difficult? Like oh, what, what's it been like <laughs> jump? Because I've seen your YouTube and it's, it's starting to do really well and you're doing all these, these cool interviews on the street with people. But how has it been moving over to long form? Long form is a different animal yeah. to short form yeah. content, if I'm being honest with you. Um, there, if there was a magic switch where you could bring all of your followers yeah. over uh, from, I mean, I have 1.3 million on TikTok, right? If I could just throw them onto YouTube, I'd be laughing. <laughs> uh, people don't like moving platforms. No, the they first do thing. not. You've got to learn no. very quickly. And then in terms of creating long form, it's where I started and it's where my roots are. Mm. So I love it. Mm. I love the game. I know it's a grind and I know it's a much harder game than short form is because short mm. form is very content focused in that you can go viral on a good piece of content mm. like that on youtube even if your content's really good sometimes you just have to be really consistent and continuously put it out for a very long period of time before it will gain traction that, that's such a huge point because we have so many creators that will i'm not saying that tiktok is easier than youtube but I am. It is. It, it, it is. It just... It, the, for virality, for I, it, that's yeah. what it's built for, right? It, exactly. And just from a time and an effort point of view, you have to put in more time, more effort to build a big YouTube... Well, prior to shorts, and we'll get onto that. But prior to shorts, it, it took way more time, way more effort. And I think that that's such a good point in terms of just the time that goes into it, basically. Now, obviously, shorts has changed the game. And now you can build millions of followers. Mm -hmm. But even from the short side of things, try and get your shorts subscribers to watch your long form. Good luck. It's so difficult. Yeah, I've had a battle with this. So actually, when I started putting my shorts on YouTube, I created a separate channel. Really? Okay. Because I thought to myself, I don't want this channel with 100,000 followers on it where I can't get a long form piece of content for on to get more than a thousand views. Mm. And that was a real, I suppose, mental struggle of mine because you'll see that now, you'll see a lot of creators that create brilliant short form content going onto YouTube, building a big subscriber base, but they can't get anyone to watch their long form. Yeah. So that was my logic behind, let me just split them so that I know how well one is doing versus how well the other one is doing. Mm. But the message I suppose coming out of YouTube and the fact that they're 
building tabs. So now on your page, you'll have a tab for long form, a tab for short form. I think that they see the future creator or the future channel as having both of those on the same channel. So when I took a step back, I looked at it from another perspective, which was, okay, yes, I'll have 100,000 followers. I don't yet, but if you wanna subscribe, please do. Um, I'll have 100,000 subs on YouTube where I can get 100,000 views on my short form content and I can't get 1,000 views on my long form content. Um, But the reason I'm okay with that is because number one, uh, would I rather have a channel with 100,000 subscribers or with 1,000 subscribers? Mm. Probably 100,000 in the first place is better. But number two, it's a very clear indicator to yourself that your long form content isn't great. Yeah. 100%. 100%. It's, that's all it's telling you. Yep. If you're getting 100,000, you've got 100,000 subs and you can't get more than 1,000 views in your long form, it just means get better at what you're doing. You're yep. doing the right thing with your shorts. Keep going on that front, mm. but maybe pivot and change the style. So unless your long form is about gardening and your short form is about roller coasters, <laughs> you get the point of what I'm trying <laughs> yeah, to say. Yeah, no, 100%. Put them on the same channel and just take the hit on your ego. Yeah. To let you know that I, I think that great. most of the creators that we speak to, the, the issue that they've got with long form is that, like you said, when you post long form content to begin with, your views are shit mm-hmm. for a long period of time for most people. Still are for me. And <laughs> they'll get there. And I think that the the issue that a lot of creators have is that they they've come from platforms, even shorts now, where you can generate a lot of views very quickly. And when when I've seen creators post three YouTube videos, long form, 300 views, 100 views, 200 views. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not getting any views. And I've come from a background of, I worked with channels for two years where they did that. And then it tipped because they got better, like you said, at their content. Their their editing was better. The the quality of their content was better. The way in which they learned how to hook people in terms of that retention rate was better. And I think that, like you're saying, you just have to get better at doing it, but you're only going to get better if you keep going. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's just doubling down for a while. And that's why it's harder, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it's quite simple. Let's say you are that creator that's posted three times and you just can't hack it. Maybe yeah. long form content just isn't for you. Yeah. And that's and, fine. And exactly. That's, that's absolutely it's fine. completely fine. So yeah. just don't run down that route. Mm. But if you're serious about long form, because let's be honest, short form is great, but long form is the pedestal. Yeah, YouTube 100%. is the OG, it's the best platform, it's the yeah. one that's the best page for it's creators. It's the only one that's not gone away. Exactly, it's the one consistent over all this yeah. time period. And it continue will continue to be because it's actually not a, uh, a social media platform, it's a search engine. Yeah, That's why YouTube will always do well, and it's why creators are always, you'll see every big TikTok creator or whatever they are, always wanting to build that, sh- that YouTube long um, platform. So like you said, either it's not for you, but if it is for you, my logic behind content creation is, uh, and I think Ali Abdal says it, mm. you need to do it consistently for let's say two years before you can even start to think to yourself, why is this not working for me? Obviously along that time, improve at things, analyze and try to get better and better. But three videos, like, come on, unless you're creating documentary style, like James Jarney style content, yeah. then don't even think that it's gonna go anywhere for you. I've posted now, I think 12 or so videos since my, I've started to go back onto YouTube mm. long form and my best performing video has probably got 500 views. Now for my ego, that's awful, but thankfully I've detached myself from my ego yeah, yeah. a long time ago. So I know that it's just the fact that my content isn't great. Yet. And it sounds like the difference for the likes of you is that you're probably looking at that 500 views going, yes, I've got 500 and I can, an- and I can analyze that. <laughs> Cause you look, and I think what you say about having to love long form is so key because that's why 
back in the day where it was just YouTube, it was hard harder to be a content creator. And that is why there are more content creators now. What what one thing that I'm speaking to all the content creators that I interview is how you're dealing with the negative side of social media. To give you an example of the positive side, I got a message on Instagram this morning. Hi, I found your wallet. And I'm, <laughs> I'm like this. Somebody last night found my wallet. I love social media, but I think there are some real negatives to social media. Have you experienced hate and how have you dealt with that hate? Yeah, so. I've seen it. I've seen it all. Um, and I think I'm quite lucky mm. that I do have quite a strong personal mental base and mm. also um, a good like foundation around me in terms of my friends, family, network, mm. all that kind of stuff. So they're supportive of my content. I mean, they take the piss as well, but they're supportive deep down. When you catch them one-on-one, -on -one, they'll say something nice to you. Yeah. In a group setting, they'll abuse whatever yeah, you yeah, need, which is fine. The group chat is, uh, yeah. Exactly. But in terms of that random person that's sending you that random message um, that's quite abusive or quite harsh, um, I'll look at it two ways. Number one is, I often have thought to myself what level I would have to be at to write something like that on someone else's post. And I can't imagine ever writing something that's just hurtful or mean on someone's content. So I have to realize that they're coming from a very different place from me. Uh, and it's more of a them problem than it is a me problem. Mm. So when I get that in my mind, it's so easy to ignore yeah. it. Do you feel like the, the platforms are doing enough to stop hate? I mean, probably not, but then it's a question of like, how yeah. how can you manage it? I mean, you can filter words and um, you can report things. I think that my problem isn't so much hate for my own personal experience, it's those copycat accounts. So there are so many accounts with yeah. my name with one different letter in the title that are messaging everybody that follows me being like, so how's your trading going? Would you like to invest with me? And I'm like, it's not me. I don't, I'm never gonna message you that. Yeah. Um, so that's the bigger problem for me that I really want social yeah. media to, to stamp down on um, all these copycat and fake accounts. But the hate, I suppose maybe I haven't had the worst experience because my uh, content is quite factual. Mm. So when if you're more of a lifestyle creator, people are abusing you and your life and all that kind of stuff. Whereas I'm getting abused maybe on my knowledge or getting something wrong. I mean, like the biggest hate message I've got recently was I made a video where my maths was wrong and everyone was in the comments, oh, your maths is wrong, your math. I was like, thank you, yeah. great engagement. Yeah. I should get the number wrong more yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if they do say something that's a bit more personal towards me, sometimes they're funny. <laughs> and I'll just screenshot them and I'll send them around yeah. or my wife's screenshotted them before and sent them to yeah. me. I've been called Wallace and Gromit. Well, not both of them, just Wallace from Wallace and Gromit before and like all these lookalikes and telling me that like, uh, I don't know, things about my facial features or like I've got weird expressions. I think in my early content, I didn't blink because I was trying so hard to remember the lines and everyone was like, what's wrong with this guy's eyes? Like he's not blinking. Yeah. I, I can blink by the way, <laughs> just gonna show that one off. Um, so on that front of things, if it's that style of comment, it's just funny and you've got to go with the flow. What about your motivation in terms of like the days where you're just like, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered editing anymore. I can't be bothered filming. I've got no ideas. How do you stay motivated doing this? Uh, at this point, I have to be disciplined over motivation. Yeah. So motivation will only last so long, but it's the discipline that wakes you up every day to be like, okay, next piece of content. What can I, mm. what do I want to do? Um, 
there are days like that that you just have to write off and you're just like okay it's not it's not my day today and i've got nothing done and i've had plenty of those like don't get me wrong i think like on these podcasts i come across like i know what's going on i've got my systems <laughs> yeah. built and this is going well and i've got my analytics and everything's built out and ready to go but the truth is there are plenty of days where i get nothing done especially mm. now that i'm self-employed and i have to this is my full-time career mm. and i wake up in the morning and i think to myself gosh i've got no like i'm my own i could go back to bed right now um so it's the discipline of your of your structure that that, that builds that out for sure um but the second thing is it's because i enjoy it and it's my passion yeah. so if you're trying to run down this road because you think there's business implications or you can make good money out of it mm. but you're doing it in a topic or in a niche that you just have no passion for or you don't enjoy, yeah. you will burn out so quickly and even discipline won't help you carry on in the long when term. When you say discipline, how do you keep your discipline? Do you have like, a, do you have a content routine? Do you have a daily routine? Because a lot of the creators we speak to obviously are all over the place. Mm-hmm. And they, some of them like it. I spoke to um, one of the guys on our roster the other day and he was saying, I wish I had a routine. So mm-hmm. do you have a routine? My routine has changed every month for like the past six months especially whilst i try to get used to working for myself mm. but yeah every there is always a routine or a structure behind it so at the moment i'm spending one week of my month completely focused on writing and researching content and my days are blocked out i know which days i'm focused on youtube which days i'm focused on tiktok um my hours okay yeah there's plenty of times where i don't get everything done within that time or i don't do according to what i'm going to do because that email comes in or that distraction comes in or that brand deal comes in and you have to switch your focus completely onto that but the high level is there so i do have that and then the following week is the filming week Mm. and and that's the way that i switch my brain um and then i have another week which is like a bit miscellaneous so i can try a new opportunity or a business venture or spend an entire week networking if that's what i want to do um but it's just planning up front um which has helped me massively so the weeks where on a sunday night or a monday morning i sit down and I plan my entire week or the weeks where i'll get the most done the weeks where it gets to wednesday and i was like oh what was i meant to be doing this week or the weeks that i'll get nothing done yeah um do you think I know that, that coming from a corporate career or like let's call it a real job helped with that I think just being a bit of a nerd and being a bit systematic has helped has helped with that. Um, yeah, you could argue that the corporate career has yeah. been massively handy with it. Um, but I, th- I don't think you need to go to a job to know how to do this. Mm. Everyone knows deep down what they mm. need to be doing. Um, and you can learn systems and you can go online and watch a YouTube tutorial on how to be really productive. Um, I mentioned him before, Ali Abdel, just consume all of his content and you'll have productivity for yeah. years. Uh, so it has helped, but at the same time, I know that I want to do this for a full-time living for the considerable future. So if mm. I don't get my systems nailed now, yeah, then you'll not, yeah, yeah, you'll burn out. What um, one thing that I wanted to talk to you about because you give a lot of great advice for let's call it the average person. Advice for content creators managing their money, because one thing that is rife in the industry is young people earning a lot of money very quickly mm-hmm. and maybe not knowing the best ways of managing that money you've obviously come from a finance background you know how to manage your money way better than i will ever know how to do it what advice do you have for content creators in managing their income because as we've said it's a very volatile income mm-hmm. stream um make sure you know your tax implications down the line and set that money aside and do not touch it is the first that was the best advice i ever got yeah was 
the money that comes into me, take out whatever's going to be going to tax and put it on the side straight away. It's not yours anymore um, because you don't want to get into that kind of mess. Mm. And then I suppose the second thing to do when you're young and you're building that much money, right, is don't uh, splash out. You're going to learn. Maybe you just have to experience it, to be honest, but you're going to learn very quickly that the material things that you're trying to buy with all that money are not going to make you happy. Um, so I've seen a lot of young creators that will go and buy a car straight away and that just might not be the right decision, right? You're 19 years old, like why do you need a car, like a flashy car at that point? Go buy yourself a Peugeot 203. <laughs> Don't sponsor this podcast, but I would love to get a free one. Um, so that, that, that would be that. I mean, if you're living, let's just save as much money as possible, especially in the economy we're in right now. Mm. Um, having money is so important. And then I suppose work out your long-term goals with, with, your, with your money. So I can speak from a personal perspective, in the, in the near future, I would love to buy a house. So I have to save a lot of money if I'm mm -hmm. going to be buying a house, right? Um, so straight away, I know what percentage of a brand deal or of my monthly income is going straight into that savings pot. And I pay my, there's this concept called paying yourself first. Yeah. So when you get paid, um, when I say pay yourself, I mean pay your future self first. Mm -hmm. So when you get that money, pay your future self. Give them that money. That is their money. Whether you're going to save it or invest it or be a, do something a bit more risky with it or a, a bit uh, safer with it is probably something that is a personal decision mm. and also on your time span of what you want to do with that money. Um, but the bigger that percentage of saving, the, uh, the bigger the percentage can be of your check that is going straight into savings or investments, mm. the better. 100%. I, I, I can't give financial advice. I'm not qualified right so we we have to be careful with what advice we give to creators but one thing that i always say to them is take your money and halve it because realistically after tax after expenses that is kind of what you're walking away with mm -hmm. and it's just a good way to figure out where you're at in terms of your income the second thing that i always always preach to people is you have no idea what you're going to earn next month and ni neither do we we get so many creators join us and say, how much am I going to earn if I sign with you? I always tell them, I have no idea. Because I have no idea. I've never worked for you. I've never pitched you. I don't know what your fees will be. But equally, I don't know what your channel is going to do over the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. So like we were saying about it being such a volatile industry, if you think, oh, great, I'm earning five grand, 10 grand, 100 grand this month, you might not be earning anything in a year from, mm -hmm. from this industry because you could get cancelled. TikTok could get deleted. And now you don't have a tick. Like, look at what's happening in the US. Yeah. So I always say to people, I'm not saying take every deal that comes to you. It still needs to be the right deal. But you need to take that into consideration when you're just thinking about decision making in terms of do I take a deal? Do I spend my money? Are you going to have this career in a year's time? Because none of us really know, right? No. Yeah, it's a, it's a scary prospect, I suppose, the idea that TikTok could just disappear. Yeah. And yeah, okay, yeah, I've built myself on other platforms now mm. slowly, but that's my biggest platform, that's my base, that's where I'm earning most of my income from. Yeah. So it is a very scary uh, concept, and I suppose it's a great from you to mm. be telling other people like, we don't, it, it, they need to learn, very, you need to learn very early on if you're coming to the industry that it is volatile. Mm. Um, the safest thing you can do, or the safest creator is the one on YouTube, right? With AdSense mm. that's coming in every single month. But even those people, even that, that AdSense, I've, I know creators that have had their AdSense randomly just drop by a third. Yeah. That's less income that's coming in for them all of a sudden and they have no idea why. 
Um, it's almost like you like you you took the leap from Barclays to take control of your career, <laughs> but yet realistically, <laughs> you're not you're not like no one in this industry is in control of anything, and that's why we do say to all creators, grow as many platforms as you can. You know, I know no one is on Facebook anymore. Grow your Facebook, grow your Snapchat, mm-hmm. grow your TikTok, grow your Instagram, grow your YouTube. Because, and I know it's difficult to do that all at the same time, but that's the only way that you're going to have a sustainable career, and that's the key, right? If you're gonna if you're gonna hop out of a long term career like banking, you better make sure it's gonna it's gonna last, kind of 100%. thing. And that's that's the kind of message that's got to go to all creators. What about in terms of? Because I was actually thinking about this. The cost of living crisis. Yes. Love it. <laughs> Has it made your account more popular? Have you had more engagement and more people reaching out for advice since we've had a bit of an, you know, an, a pretty big economic turndown since COVID? Is that even maybe one of the reasons why you think your account maybe took off? It's a, it's a great question. And I actually haven't seen so much correlation okay. between it. Uh, the main reason that I've considered in the past as to why mm. is because the majority of people that follow my content are from younger demographics, whereas the cost of living is mm. probably hitting older demographics. Yes. So that, that could be one logical reason. And I have created quite a bit of content when it was at the peak, the cost of living crisis. I don't know if we're, we're probably still quite in the peak when we look back mm. at it, but it felt like the peak was like in the end of 2022. Mm. And that content was mixed reception as to whether people wanted it or not. Um, a lot of times people were like, oh, just, I've come on TikTok to relax. I don't want to be constantly told about the cost of living crisis. Um, so, I mean, I started to do well prior to the cost of living crisis, um, which is perhaps why there isn't so much correlation between the two. I try to do my bit. So regardless of whether the content does well or not, I still mm. feel a little bit of a duty. I'm in a finance like niche, right? So. I still feel a duty that I need to share and help people with that are in the cost of living crisis, um, regardless of whether that content does well or not, because I, that's just my obligation um, to try and educate people and, and bring them up through the ranks with me. Um, but to say it's had a positive or negative impact, I'm probably a bit neutral on that. Do you, but do you feel like you've had an increase in people reaching out for advice, even, even just maybe the last six months? There's definitely been a lot of messages, like private messages yeah. or DMs. Oh, I've got this, I've got that. What would you advise? I can't respond to them. Well, this is what I was going to say. Are you advice. legally allowed? No. Okay. Uh, so my con with being in the finance niche, you have to keep it very broad and very general yeah. um, and very non-specific. So the worst thing that I could do as a content creator is answer someone's Reply DM with specific. specific, oh, take the 700 pounds and put it there. And it, that is completely illegal for Are me to Are you allowed to, you know how a lot of creators will reply to a comment as a video, mm-hmm. on, especially on TikTok, there's a great feature yeah, you can do yeah. that. Are you allowed to do that? Yeah, I probably could do it. Um, again, you have to just be careful with how yeah. you do it. The whole, it's not that hard to maneuver around. It's yeah. just all about being careful mm. um, and just making sure that you're never giving anything specific or anything that can force people to make a, a decision or telling people what to do basically i try and focus on the education level mm. so it's conceptually this is uh positions that if this is your position this is the conceptual maybe next steps of where you can learn about what to do next rather than this is what to do next so i'll never tell them go on this platform and invest in this and then you're good and put away this much money yeah i can't it's no. too dodgy i can't even get close to doing that <laughs> i was going to say have you ever had like a regulator reach out to you or anything yeah, they sponsored me. 
I mean, they they just wanted to do one about staying safe online. Whilst oh, okay, all, perfect. At the height of yeah. everything when it was when it was kicking off, and yeah. like we spoke about crypto and stocks and all those dangerous videos, um, they were very quick to jump in and be like, "Let's oh, make a video wonderful. together to tell people how they can be safe." Um, so that's how I've been contacted. It's by good. The it's good to know that I guess regulators like that are trying to spread the right message with the right people like yourself, and not with I guess more like cowboy type accounts that are saying let's do drop shipping and make a million quid this year yeah, that'd be weird if what do you think that. of those kind of accounts because I, I i'll be honest like my feed is full of those kind of things like drop shipping crypto you obviously mentioned that you're kind of like the anti that what do you think to those i guess business models do you think that it that is available to the masses or do you think it's a very select few people that can actually earn that kind of money I mean, they're all legit businesses in terms mm. of they've all worked for somebody, which is why these videos are being created. Yeah. So I'm not against the idea of you going and giving it a go, but to think you're gonna get rich quick is just silly. So obviously my channel preaches about, build, preaches about building wealth over a long period of time. Mm. That's the way that I think that the majority of the population can do it. Mm. I'm not saying become rich, I'm just saying build a level of wealth over time. Yeah. Um, but. These videos do well because they're entertaining. They speak about big numbers. They show flashy lifestyles. They've got those three tick boxes that are always gonna do yeah. well on social media. Um, and I've got friends that have done well in those industries, which is why I'm not like an, I, I know you said like the anti. Yeah. I'm just trying to educate people so that when they go into those realms, they have a little bit of a foundation before they like jump into the deep end. Mm. Um, because I'm not saying that these platforms don't work, don't work. I know for example, someone who's doing really well with Amazon FBA. Mm. Um, and a lot of people on the other like online in the comments are like, oh, this is a scam, this is a scam. It's not, it's just very, very hard. And a 30 second TikTok is not going to teach you everything that you need to know no. to get to the levels that you're watching. I think mm. that's the disparity is when people make it sound like it's so easy. When they're like, oh, an hour of work a, a week and you can have a hundred grand sitting on an island by next year. That's where I think I draw the line. Yeah. It's if a video came along and said, I've, put in a hundred hours of work to get me to a stage where I can just start earning a little bit of money in drop shipping. That's the honest truth of it. That's where, my, where I fall on it is that I think that it's a very, very, all these things, crypto, drop shipping, Amazon, I think they're, they're very interesting business models. And I think you can make a lot of money, but my thought process with anything business related is if it's a get rich quick, then it can get taken away quite quick mm -hmm. as well and then it's like and i think where you come in where, where it could be very helpful for these type of people is what do you do once you've made the money what do you do with that money how do you manage that money because that money might the same goes with content creators it might not be here anymore like i actually think it'd be really good for you to talk and do more with content creators and like get you involved in terms of like doing panels with them and teaching them how to manage their money because there there isn't that help for these dropshippers or these content creators about how to manage their money once they've made you know mm. hundreds of thousands of pounds at the age of 21. Honestly, it's so true. I mean, I, I would just say to them straight away, if you're earning like serious money, just go straight to a financial advisor. Yeah. Just pay for the service. If you had a, if you were ill, you'd pay for a doctor, right? If you have a lot of money and you don't know what to do with it, go to a financial advisor and, and get them to help you plan, plan what you're doing. Um, but I know what you mean, like 
the internet has basically allowed young people to start earning a serious amount of money much easier than they ever have before. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying much easier than yeah, it ever has yeah. been. So you're going to have far more people with far, at far younger age with mm. far like more money not knowing what to do with it. Yeah. Um, I'd love to host that panel. So if you're listening yeah. to this and you want me to run one of those panels, more I than think, happy. I think it'd be super helpful for a lot of people. My final big question or my, my penultimate question for you is, what does the future hold for you? What are your plans for your channels and just your career in general? So I suppose with most content creators, it's a bit of the unknown, isn't it? Mm. Um, I love educating people on finance. So I know that that is the future of where I'm going. Um, where that lies is probably a, still a little bit vague. So I would love to perhaps maybe have that impact that someone like Martin Lewis has had on the UK when it comes to finance. I think personally, he talks to an older demographic and me, because I love listening to him. <laughs> um, so I think that there's a, a need for a younger voice, perhaps to do the role that he's doing or used to do, um, but reach people on the platforms that they're consuming on, right? So your YouTube, TikTok, all that kind of stuff. So the big picture would be to, to fill that position in the UK and become mm. that, I suppose, leading educator for, for I don't have to be leading, just a, just yeah. a, someone that can speak to a lot of people and help a lot of people when Add it comes to value. their financial mm. knowledge. Um, because I think my big mission would be, um, I mean, if we could get a finance, a finance syllabus into most schools in the, in the UK or internationally, that'd be amazing. I'm not sure how easy that would be. So if there's just a way of leveling up young people's financial knowledge so that when they get exposed to all of this social media and all the things that are so easy to access, they have a little bit of common sense and just have a little bit of understanding, that would be a huge success That's for me. That's such a great, I've spoke to my friends so much about this, about why they did not teach us how to do our taxes in school. Like small things like that. I'm, I'm, I went, I actually went to uh, business school in Newcastle. Mm -hmm. Didn't learn anything about it. Learned about the theory of business. Nothing about my taxes or how to read a cash flow statement mm -hmm. or anything like that. And I think that potentially one, I mean, it always comes down to funding, mm -hmm. but it's also the accessibility of people to teach that kind of, I guess, syllabus is, is you know, it's the, the accountants, the financial advisors to bring them into a school is very expensive. But with social media, mm -hmm. with resources like an e-course or whatever it may be, it's way easier. So that's a, a great point. My um, my final, final question, and I'm asking this to everybody just to kind of round off the, all of these podcasts in a positive way, but also so people can take it away if maybe they're having a hard day or they're struggling is what's your one tip for a positive mindset when it comes to everyday life, but also content, uh, content creation? I would say... If you're a content creator, and I can speak specifically specifically to them, mm. just think about how you might have impacted one person that day. Mm. Because you very easily get stuck in the numbers game. Mm. Did I get 30,000 views? Did I get 300,000 views? Has it done well? But, and I'm preaching this to myself right mm. now, so I'm giving this advice, so I'm talking to yeah. myself. But it's if you could have impacted just one person with that piece of content, especially if you're trying to make impactful content, and by impactful, it doesn't have to be educational. If you're an entertainer, comedy, lifestyle, you're still impacting people. They wanna consume your content to make their life better in a way, shape or form. Um, so perhaps 
for a second, stop looking at chasing the numbers and the views and the brand deals and just think about that individual person that watched your piece of content, took the time out of their day to watch an entire piece of content that you've spent time creating and are now better off because of it. Um, and I suppose if you can think about that every so often, you'll be a much happier person. Yeah, 100%. Okay, well, thanks so much.